Welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast that dives deep into important topics and fosters understanding by exploring captivating interviews with diverse guests, where we discuss how their unique experiences have shaped them into the individuals they are today. This podcast is committed to having honest and thought-provoking conversations to arouse curiosity and convey essential messages of empathy, inclusion, and diversity, one conversation at a time. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Welcome to another extraordinary episode of For Your Listening Pleasure. Today, I have the honor of welcoming a truly remarkable individual, John Simmons, whose story is as unique as their identity. John self-identifies as a queer, non-binary, polyamorous kinkster. Growing up within the Orthodox community of Judaism, John realized early on that they would forge their own path, defying societal norms and embracing their authentic self. Currently, John is a certified life coach, dedicating their expertise to coaching individuals within the gender, sexual, and romantic minority communities. But that's not all. For the past decade, John has immersed themselves in the polyamory non-monogamy community. This episode promises to be an enlightening exploration of John's journey. Be sure to check out the links in this episode's show notes to dive deeper into some topics discussed in this episode and to look at John's extraordinary work. Listeners, as a little PSA, this conversation does contain various sexual topics. Listeners, before we dive into today's conversation, I want to tell you about my new favorite kitchen gadget, the Berry Blaster. I don't know about you, but I love fresh strawberries during the warm summer months. The only downside is I hate how much fruit is wasted when you cut off the top of the strawberries. Well, I recently found the Berry Blaster, which helps prevent fruit waste. And all you have to do is pop off the tops and your berries are ready to eat. You don't need to be a savant in the kitchen to use the Berry Blaster and it's even safe for children of all ages to use. The best part is the Berry Blaster contains no sharp knives, it's dishwasher safe, and it takes up little to no space in your kitchen. To learn more about the Berry Blaster, visit the link in this episode's show notes or go to Amazon and search Berry Blaster. Lastly, check them out on Instagram at the Berry Blaster and give them a follow. I hope you enjoyed this episode. John, thank you so much for joining me today. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I've done a good amount of research. I'm really excited to dive into your conversation. But from my understanding, you grew up in the Orthodox community. Can you talk about what that was like for you? Well, as a kid, you don't know any different much. Uh, The town I grew up in, had a high percentage of Orthodox Jews, which is why my parents moved there when I was really, really little, less than a year. So you don't, you know, it. it's normal to not use electricity or not eat pork products. I had, I remember one incident when I was a kid where there was some anti-Semitism thrown my way. And that was kind of like the first time that I felt like, oh, this is something different that people don't like. But Generally, it was so insular that it was hard to see that the world was different outside of my own little bubble. And you were in that bubble for a long time until your parents went through a divorce. And I know from being within the Jewish faith, granted, I was not raised in the Orthodox sector, but from my understanding, that was a shock within that sector to be divorced. What do you remember about that time? Um, I rem- like my parents were never fighting in front of us, in front of me and my sister. Um, they kind of were pretty matter of fact about it. 
was like, hey, we just decided we can't live together anymore, so your dad's going to move out. And I was upset. The divorce itself wasn't a catalyzing thing for me in my life. It wasn't this big moment that I think about a lot. Um, you know, I think that, yeah, I definitely missed my dad being around and I did get to see him, but obviously it wasn't every day. And so I know, like, I, I you know, I was definitely as a, as a kid uh, upset about it, but got over it, you know, and, and it seemed like overall everyone was happier. So once everything kind of got settled and the divorce was final. I understand when you were younger, your sister was bullied a lot in high school mm-hmm. and yeah, you yeah. told her it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks as long as you know the truth. Can you talk about where at such a young age you came up with that mantra? So that was actually something my mother said to her. I happened to be in the car when my mother said that to her. I'm not sure where my mom got it from. Um, but yeah, I was, you know, I was maybe 10. My sister was 14 and uh, it was her freshman year of high school. And it was also her first year of public school or then we had gone to Jewish private school. So she was bullied pretty relentlessly. Um, and she was really upset one day and we were in the car. And I remember my mom saying that to my sister. And I don't know how much my sister took it on it at that time, but that's something that has stuck with me. 30 years and has informed how I live my life a lot. So let's get into your life. I, when we did our prep call, I was really fascinated by the fact that you grew up in this such very strict sector that for those who don't know the Orthodox aspect of Judaism, I mean, you literally follow the Torah to a T. You follow the Talmud, the rules, can't turn the lights on at the start of Friday evening until sunset on Saturday evening. I mean, everything is very scripted, very structured. And now you are a gender, sexual, and romantic minority coach. And if you go to your website, which listeners, John's website, the link to it will be in this episode show notes. I am going to read the about me section because I think that really sets the theme of this conversation. And you say, I am a queer, non-binary, they, them, polyamorous kingster. I'm a certified life coach and have been working privately for a number of years coaching people with gender, sexual, and romantic minority communities. How did you go from one aspect to completely the other. Let's talk our listeners through this because when you and I talked previously, I was fascinated and this is definitely an aspect, especially around like polyamorous community and, you know, leading up to this conversation, I really want to make sure I did my research to understand and be able to ask questions because it is a new segment of the spectrum that I'm learning about. And I'm sure many listeners are also learning about. Yeah. First off, my my family got less religious over time. So it wasn't a, an instant jump from Orthodox to where I am now. Um, and after my parents split, um, my father came out as polyamorous to me and my sister. So that's how I learned about polyamorous. Can I exist. Can I interrupt yeah. you? I'm sorry. What no, no. what do you remember when he said that to you? Because I feel like you are raised in a very um, conservative mindset. You are taught what marriage, according to the Torah, is looks like. And for him to say that, 
what what do you remember about that time? Yeah, I I would say that uh, the Jude- the Judaism that I was brought up in was uh, very rules based and structured, but thought process wise was like I came from a pretty liberal family on the political spectrum, and that includes how families look. They always supported gay rights and things like that. Um, so the way my dad kind of explained it is like, I can love more than one person. I might have more than one girlfriend. And that made sense to me because like the way he explained it is like, well, you love me. You love your mom. You love your sister. You love your cousins. You don't just love one person, you know, and it was done in an age appropriate way. So it made sense to me. Um, I also fought against it myself for many years because I knew that polyamory was the uh, focal point of my parents' divorce. Um, so I remember even in high school being in a relationship and then being interested in somebody else and like fighting against that because that's wrong and bad, that ruins marriages. So it took a long time until I met my now wife in my like mid slash late twenties. I don't know where that cutoff is. <laughs> um, and I was just out of a five year monogamous relationship. And I knew I just wanted one the reason I ended that relationship because I couldn't be monogamous anymore. And so when I got into the relationship with my now wife, I said, I am not monogamous. I, I'm polyamorous. And she said, Great, so am I. And then for four years, we were functionally monogamous because we were doing fine. We were building our relationship. And I didn't feel any need to find any other partners. And then after those four years, I started finding other partners. Just as a listener, PSA, I am going to be asking questions. If you are part of the poly community and you find these questions offensive, it's not coming from offense. I'm literally asking these questions as someone who is new to this, learning more. And thankfully, John is open to talking about his experience. So I just wanted to give a little PSA. Can you really quickly describe what the difference between an open relationship and a poly relationship is? Because as I was doing my research, I did hear a little bit of a difference between the two. Yes. While some of these terms can be fluid, generally speaking, the difference between an open relationship and a polyamorous relationship, oftentimes people, when they say I have an open relationship, it means that Um, They have the ability within their relationship agreements to have other sexual partners. Um, Polyamory comes from poly, many. Amory is love. So with polyamory, emotional connection is something that can happen as well. Oftentimes in in open relationships, there is a boundary that says no emotions. You can't fall in love, which is interesting because I don't think that's something you can control. I th- would think, and I'm sorry to interrupt, if you're being no, intimate no. with someone as previous experience, like you do form attachment to some level, unless you might be on the spectrum of a behavioral disorder if you have no attachment when you're ha- spending that much time with someone and being intimate to the, to a certain degree. Yes, and I think there is a difference between like, I have sex with with some of my friends because they're my friends and it's a fun thing to do. That doesn't mean I'm madly in love with them. Um, and I'm not falling for them. They're not falling in love with me. It's just something that we both like. Um, and so I think that with open relationships for most people, again, this doesn't, obviously doesn't mean for everyone. Um, but for most people, it is much more of a casual 
um, sexual encounters and sexual relationships with other people and the relationship that they are in, the romantic relationship that they're in, is the focus and is the quote-unquote important. I am very fortunate to know your wife, your partner. I'm going to let her stay anonymous for just the sake of this conversation. But when you are, you mentioned like having sex with your friends, when you are in a poly relationship, is it something you communicate to them or is it kind of different with each relationship? Because I would think in an open relationship, I've had friends who are in open relationships and they communicate when they are having sexual activities or doing things with friends but i don't know if that's the same it within a poly relationship i'm sure again everything we're talking about today is on a spectrum i just want to be really yeah. clear with listeners the conversation that john and i are having is not the set way with every single person who is in a poly relationship so i i like to joke that the first three rules of polyamory are communicate 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 um and so yeah uh, I generally will tell, I have a couple of partners that I'll generally tell if I think like sex with a new person might be happening, if it is potential. Um, I don't like once it becomes a sexual relationship with someone, whether that's a romantic relationship or not, I don't like tell these uh, already established partners like every time, okay, yes, we had sex this time. No, we didn't have sex this time. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's no reason not to not to say it. So I think when I was really researching and preparing for this conversation, the biggest thing I came across was the stigma around non-monogamy. And my first question to you around that topic is, how did you get over that? Because I think that in today's society, people do put such a big stigma around if you have an alternative uh, relationship status, aka non-monogamy, and how did you come to terms with that? Because you did mention that you had a little feeling around it, considering your parents' divorce. Yeah. Um, well, for me personally, it goes back to that saying that it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you as long as you know the truth. So if I'm not harming others, then I'm okay with it. If someone doesn't like it, that's okay. They don't have to. However, you're right. There is discrimination. And for some people, the struggle can be with child's custody. Being openly polyamorous can hurt your chances of being able to see your children. Um, being openly non-monogamous can hurt your chances of keeping a job. If someone finds out and doesn't like it, you can be fired for it. You can be uh, denied housing. So there is a factor of... You have to be careful. You know, if you have someone that works, is the breadwinner in the family, and they work for a company that's a really conservative company, they can't be out at work. And so there are some logistical real world issues that you have to be cognizant of. But as far as things that don't, like, that aren't going to affect that, you know, that aren't going to affect my, my life in a negative way, I just... I don't know. People are allowed to not like what I do. That's okay. Anytime you have a certain kink or a certain interest, there's communities. But it's kind of hard to either find the community or learn more about it. You can't like necessarily just Google it. But maybe nowadays you might be able to. 
a few years ago, you might not have. Um, I think when last time we spoke, I mentioned to you a very good friend of mine who I've known since high school, who was one of my closest friends um, a few years ago prior to the pandemic, had invited me to something called a munch. And I had no idea what that was. I actually was just busy on that night. So I was like, hey, I actually can't come. Thanks for the invite. Would love to see you soon. But in the moment, I think I was like 26 at the time. I had no idea what that was. And I didn't even think about Googling it. I just thought, oh, it's like a theme party that she's inviting me to. But obviously, I took my head out of the sand and have learned since then. But you and I had talked about that. And you actually helped create different munches within the area you live in. So one, my first question is, can you describe to listeners what that is? And also, how do you go about finding it? How do you go about finding your community of people who will accept you and also if you are curious about this aspect of, of of a relationship or open to this or this something that's been on your mind, how do you go about finding that? Good questions. First, I just want to clarify um, just some wording that you used, and I want to make sure that things are understood. Yes. And again, sorry um, if I am messing no, no, this no. up. No, you're not messing anything up. Kink and polyamory. Polyamory is not a kink. And while in my particular area, there is a lot of crossover between the kink community and polyamory community, there are areas in the in the country and in the world where they're very separate. Um, so I, I didn't start, but I do run um, a local munch for, uh, for uh, people who are polyamorous or curious about polyamory or thinking about polyamory or are monogamous themselves, but are in a relationship with someone who's polyamorous. Um, we have both, uh, we have it uh, listed uh, on meetup.com. You can find a lot of things there, surprisingly. Um, and then there's what I like to call kinky Facebook. Um, so if you're looking more for kink, but you can also find polyamory stuff there, is uh, fetlife.com um, is been around for a long time i've been on it for a long time um and it is uh and and you can actually look for events in in your area um and that's a good way to find a munch now what is it and listeners before he dives in i will put both of those in this episode show notes so you can click and if you're interested in exploring and learning more it's an easy click for you um, uh, a munch is generally just meeting at a restaurant. Um, it is hanging out in a in a space that it's not focused on sex, not focused on kink. Um, the munch I run is not just dinner. A lot of them are just come and have dinner and meet like-minded folks. Um, mine is also a discussion group focused on polyamory. So if people have questions, we have a topic every month that doesn't have to topic. Um, and if anyone has questions or they're struggling with something, they can ask the group for collective help um, and discuss really anything to do with polyamory. Um, but yeah, generally it's it's a, a very low pressure, low key situation that can help people meet other people in the community, in their local community, as well as start to get to know them and feel more comfortable. So again, separate from that community, can we dive in a little to more of the kink community? I think that I know for me personally, and mom and dad, if you're listening to this episode, now's the time to maybe turn it off. 
But I think as I've grown up and started to learn about my own sexuality, I've started to come and figure out what I like and what I don't like. And when you start to have conversations with friends who, you know, you've had a few glasses of wine and someone's talking about relationship and you start talking about what you're into or not into, it's interesting to see when people get uncomfortable, but you can tell that they're uncomfortable because they're interested versus like, and they want to admit that they're into it versus saying that, oh, no, 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 I don't do that. And I think that's the same way with certain kinks. And really what I want to use this space for, it's a safe space, is that when do you start to develop or when do you start to lean into that? How do you start to explore your certain kinks? Um, Because I think there's so much shame around that and there really shouldn't be. It's human sexuality. You're into what you're into. And also... So first off, and and no, you didn't mess anything up because you uh, it's super, super common thought process. Um, and probably most of the listeners today probably think about it when they think of kink, they think of sexuality. Um, kink is not inherently sexual. There are a lot of asexual people who are very heavily involved in kink um, because they like it not for sexual reasons. It's not sexually arousing, but they still enjoy it. That? So when yeah. you said like they're into kink, but not in a sexual way, mm-hmm. and that's maybe my own misinformation, which is why we're in this conversation. Okay. It, it, it is the prevailing thought that kink has to be sexual for a lot of people who are not in kink. And truthfully, some people who are, um, there are like some people just like the feeling of pain, right? They like it doesn't get them turned on, but it's still fulfilling and enjoyable. Or, you know, whatever the activity may be. Um, they aren't attracted to the people, they aren't attracted sexually to the people that they do these things with. Um, but that doesn't mean they don't have a good time. That doesn't mean it's not enjoyable. It doesn't mean it's not fulfilling for everyone involved. They enjoy the act. It doesn't mean that you yeah. necessarily have to be, like, sexually attracted to them. It's just... Right. That makes sense. Yeah, I I would say there was now it's my kink is probably a little more towards the sexual side just because of one of my partners. It's kink is very sexual for them. Um, but like there was a time in my life where 75% of the BDSM activities I was doing were strictly platonic. So then I guess my follow-up question is is how do you have that conversation? I remember I had a conversation with a partner and I'm not going to go into too many detail because I think the partner may or may not listen to the podcast, but I remember like asking for something it's around the time that like 50 shades of gray came out and every female was wearing that, reading that book and they were all real interested. I'm sure John, you can opine that when that book came out, the interest in everything sexual kind of exploded. I'm sure Google could provide those analytics and those data points. You were open your mind to something that maybe you didn't know, or you were in a sheltered community or in a long-term sexual relationship that you just didn't know that these things existed. And I remember asking a partner for something that was very PG-13. I'll just put it out that way. And they looked at me like I was insane. And the second that they were like, what's wrong with you? I just remember me personally kind of shutting down sexually because it was like, well, you just caught that line of communication. So how would you advise those listeners who are interested in maybe 
bringing up something that they fantasize about, they've heard about, they've seen about, or even also the asexual they just are into, the feeling. So there are a couple of approaches. One is if you're interested, find your local community, right? And they'll teach you about um, negotiating play or negotiating a scene, as it's called. Um, and you can learn how to have those conversations with people so you can get what you want, they can get what they want, and everyone can have a good time. Um, if it's with an already established partner and you just kind of want to do it in the bedroom, um, you can be straightforward and ask. That's always, like, my first suggestion. It does. It is potentially more open to rejection because one of the things that you have to remember is you've been thinking about this for however long you've been thinking about this your partner on the other hand has not so it could seem like oh god this is out of nowhere this is it, it could be too big for them um so you could mention hearing about whatever it may be and see how they respond you could, if you watch porn together, you could put porn on with that particular thing to see how they react. Um, you, yeah, so you could casually mention it. I think that's can, great advice because as a female, as someone who identifies as she, her, and as a female, I think I've been in situations where I will voice what I'm interested in or want to try and you just see your partner just shut down because maybe they're shocked or they can't believe what you're saying or this is the first time that they're hearing it whereas like you have been thinking about it and that rejection sometimes can shut you down and I think that that's something that's really hard to work through regardless of any relationship you're in oh yeah but when it comes to like sexuality when you're asking a partner for something that they're surprised you're asking and it's not necessarily like they're saying no but i think that shock and you see their reaction yeah. it just shuts down yeah because you're in a really vulnerable place asking for this you know for what you want absolutely and i'm sure you see a lot of that in your coaching because you work really with focus around gender sexual and romantic minority coaching and can you talk about how you've worked with clients who maybe you've been in a relationship for three, four, five X amount of years, and one partner who's interested in taking this into more of a poly relationship or exploring a fantasy or a kink or looking for something else but wants to stay in the relationship? Because I do, as I've gotten older and have talked to a lot more people and met um people of all ages and demographics and cultures but more so when you're in a relationship for so long you start to kind of maybe wonder what else is there but you don't want to walk away from that relationship and I think that's something that as we've started to live a lot longer and relationships are a lot longer and you are human and you start to wonder is this it like i'm sure you experience a lot more of that w at within your coaching practice yeah i think that deciding if polyamory is really for you um is important to figure out 
right? And it, and it's hard to figure out without doing it. But not wanting to lose the relationship, you have to decide, is the relationship more important than me learning this thing about myself and figuring it out? And also remember that your partner has choice in this, regardless of what you want. There are some times where just bringing it up can end a relationship. There are times where bringing it up can be the partner's response can be like, I've actually been thinking about this too. And I've been, I haven't been saying it because I've been nervous to say it. So now we can sit down and talk about what that's going to look like for us. Um, I think that when it comes to like kinks and whatnot, again, you have to decide how important it is for you to explore this thing. Because yes, we're living longer, but my own personal belief is that we have one go at it. So you got to decide if it's worth it for you. How important is it for you to figure this thing out about yourself, to learn about yourself compared to how important is it is for you to be in this relationship? How fulfilling is it? Does it make you happy? What things are good about it? Um, and it's not like a pro-con thing, but it's just sometimes you just have to figure something out about yourself and that's okay and sometimes that will mean loss of partner loss of family or friend i lost friends in the late 90s coming out as bisexual right and so but that was a part of me that i had to be and for some people polyamory is an innate thing like and for some people it's an active choice so you have to figure it out and and, and like i know that that's not the best um answer it's not people want kind of like a this is what you do unfortunately it just doesn't work that way i think when it comes to our own desires wants and especially sexuality there is no playbook no one is the same and i think that trying to think if there's an instruction manual that you can follow that's just never going to happen i think listeners know that with every podcast guest i always do a prep call and you and i were chatting prior to this recording and I mentioned that I don't think for me I could ever be in a polyamorous relationship. I am a very jealous individual. Previous relationships I've been cheated on and I think that leaves me with some PTSD and some self-work that I'm working through. My fear and we talked about this was well if you need to go be with someone else have that romantic or intimate connection or just emotional connection with someone else like I'm not good enough and you said something really interesting to me was like well where was that maybe when you were younger that this maybe or may not have come up where you feel like that jealousy how do you deal with that when you're starting to enter this lifestyle good question because I get the I'm too jealous for polyamory a lot in my opinion Jealousy is a symptom of a problem. It is not a problem in itself. Also, just real quick on definitions, um, for me, on a very basic level, jealousy means I when I'm jealous of somebody else, I do not want them to go do a thing that they want to go do or go do a person they want to go. Envy means, oh, man, you're doing that with somebody else. I'd love to do that. But I'm sad that I'm not. Um, so... Jealousy often, although not always, is the uh, symptom of fear of loss. Generally, it's fear, right? I'm not good enough. You're going to leave. 
you don't like me anymore. You don't love me anymore. And so there are a few different ways that people often use to combat jealousy. And to be very clear, jealousy exists in polyamory. There are some people who aren't, but there are lots of people. Um, early on, when you're just starting it, and if you've decided, hey, polyamory is going to be a thing that I do. My partner has decided polyamory is going to be a thing they also do. Because um, it is a, it is an individual decision. Personally, I don't think it is the best route for a couple to decide we are going to do polyamory. Decide individually. Early on, um, keep yourself busy. Play video games. Go out with friends. Go to the movies. Go bowling. Take yourself out to dinner. Read a book. Do something. If they're out on a date with someone else and they're really feeling it, do that. After a while, I think it's really good to sit with your jealousy, to sit with your feelings about it and figure out what the underlying issue is. And it's okay to ask for reassurance from your partner. It's okay to say, hey, listen, I'm really, I know I'm feeling jealous right now. But what that really means is I'm feeling like we haven't actually spent a lot of time together, just me and you doing really nice romantic things. I'd really like it if we could schedule something like that, if we could plan to go on a really nice romantic dinner or whatever it may be. Or uh, I'm feeling like you're going to leave and I just really need to hear you say that you're not going anywhere and why, and why, right? Like I know for me personally, when I'm really struggling, um, I will ask other partners of mine um, what they like about me because that makes me feel loved. Words of affirmation, yep. figuring out what your partner's love languages are and being able to show yeah. up for them. Absolutely. So you said something that I thought was interesting, that as a couple, you don't make that decision. So then are you saying that you kind of come into a relationship saying, this is something that I want? Are you open to that? Because, for example, if I met someone and they're like, I want to have a polyamorous relationship. And I would be like, that is a boundary, a hard no boundary for me. Yeah, that's a deal breaker for you. That's That's not the relationship you want to be in. So then that relationship obviously would not continue on. But I Mm -hmm. guess if someone came in and I would be open to it, then do you ever see those relationships where in this example, I am, no, I want to just be with this one person, but I'm okay with this one person being in relationships with others. And then does it evolve where that, person who wanted that singular relationship starts to be like oh i'm open to that or do you see them kind of stay more singular uh both truthfully um i've seen both they call them mono- monopoly relationships i just like to call them monopoly because it's spelled the same way and i've seen both i've seen relationships where the monogamous person is not like has no issues with the polyamorous person um going and having other partners and spending time with other people and being sexual with other people. And they stay monogamous the whole time. And I've seen um, other relationships where the monogamous person sees the polyamorous person, sees that they're happy, sees that they're not leaving. And is like, okay, cool. Maybe I want to take a look at this also. And then they um, end up in multiple relationships. Obviously, I mentioned I know your wife, your partner. When you guys decide to get married, you decided knowing that this was something that down the road or if you were engaging was going to happen. But I guess my question is, is how do you have that conversation with new partners? Like, are you on dating apps? Are there special dating apps? Is it how do you have that conversation 
because I mean, dating is uncomfortable and awkward to begin with, but how do you find someone that is open to this? Good question. Um, so um, I'm thinking about dating apps and how long it's been since I really like use them to find a partner. You're, you're lucky. Um, For all those listeners uh, are listening, yes, you're like you're lucky. Yes. And they've gotten worse. Like Tinder kind of ruined a lot of dating relationships or dating apps. Um, I have a relationship that is a few years younger, like just slightly a little, you know, like I said, we were monogamous for three or four years. And like, I have a partner who I've been with since like right after, like once I was like, okay, I need to, I need another relationship. Um, and we met on OkCupid, which used to be really, really good for polyamorous people. And it's still probably the best um, you can, because you can connect your partner to your account. Um, so if someone's looking, they can see, yes, you actually have another partner and you talk about each other and you have pictures of your partners in your pictures. Um, I think it's really important, however you meet someone, um, that you bring it up really early and like as soon as possible, because it might be a situation with someone like you who is monogamous and does not want to be with a partner who's polyamorous. It can be a deal breaker really early and that's okay. But I think it's unfair to not tell someone as soon as possible because like if someone didn't tell you you went out you had a great date you want to go on a second date you're feeling great about it this person's real cool. maybe we'll have fun sex maybe you know we're gonna go and do bowling or whatever it is and we're gonna do laser tag next time it has to be really fun i look forward to that and then they let me know and it's like Ugh. and not only that but you've wasted someone's time you've wasted your own time because you're not compatible so my personal preference and what I always suggest is as soon as human beings. And this might be a naive question, but it's coming to top of mind for me. Do your partners meet each other? Like, do they know each other? Or is it sometimes like where you have a clear boundary, like, hey, I'm good with whatever you want to do, but I don't want to know. I don't want to see. And especially in today's day of social media, you better not posting. Like, I am your wife. You can have other relationships yeah, i don't want to see anyone on the gram so excellent question not naive you actually brought up a couple of different things in that question first off is polyamory isn't a monolith there are a lot of different styles of polyamory um one is called kitchen table polyamory when people get along they're all friends at the very least everyone's partners and partners are all friends this is a very basic over there's also parallel polyamory where your partners don't really interact if at all um, there is a, a newer term um, that I really like called garden party polyamory. And basically it's if like your partners don't really hang out. They're not really friends. But if you throw a garden party and invite them all, they'll come, they'll have a good time, they'll get along. Which is generally the style of polyamory I practice. One day I'll go pro. Um so I think that for some people, yes. Um, I also think when you're talking about the, I don't want to see pictures on the gram, um, that goes into what they call couples privilege, right? Because often polyamory starts with an existing couple and in a, and that is hierarchical polyamory, um, where you sometimes you'll hear, this person is my primary partner, this person is my secondary partner. So in hierarchical polyamory, or at least, I don't want to get too in the weeds because there's actually multiple kinds of hierarchical polyamory. Um, but in 
uh, what most people would understand as hierarchy without getting too granular. Um, it goes back to similar what I was saying about open relationships, where it becomes this relationship, this core relationship is the most important. And so because of that, you can't post stuff with your other partners on Instagram. And to think about that, number one, that is making a decision for your other partner, making a decision for your metamor, your partner's partner. And how would that make you feel if someone was not allowed to post pictures of you, even though you are a couple? That is your boyfriend. That is your girlfriend. That is oh, your boyfriend. I'll, I, can, you know? I can answer that real fast because <laughs> I've been in like monogamous relationships and I've had partners who are like, I don't like to post on the gram. And I'm like, uh, fuck that. Like, that makes me feel like you're hiding me or you're not proud to be with me or I right. can give an entire exactly. list and that feeds into a lot of other stuff, but yes. it's a shitty feeling. Yeah, it is. And like my, for me personally, I uh, am not going to be in relationships where my, where one partner will have a say in almost anything with my other partner. So I will say, Preparing to talk uh, to you, I had a conversation with the individual I'm dating, and I'm going to keep this very high level for respect and privacy. And we really had a whole conversation about polyamory. And you, I think it was probably the first conversation they maybe had uh, about this topic. And it was definitely the first conversation I've really ever had with um, someone I'm dating about this. And it was a really interesting conversation to have about how would you feel and what do you consider this? And how would you feel about if someone engaged in this sexual activity or and it was a very enlightening conversation. I'm happy to say we both landed on the same page of where we were feeling and how we felt about everything. And awesome. polyamory is not for him and I, but it was mm -hmm. a very a therapeutic conversation that I've never had with the partner before talking about how do you feel about this and where yeah. do you draw the lines and you know just I think taking the shame away from it taking the restriction away from it and having an open honest dialogue about how do you feel about this are you into this and having this bigger conversation was something that was very eye-opening to me. And I'm sure with your coaching business, you've seen this. And when you and I talked before, you mentioned like people, even when you're a kid, always kept coming to you and talking to you about things. And that's how yeah. you ended up within coaching. And I don't want mm -hmm. this entire episode to be me asking you questions about your lifestyle. I do want no, to highlight okay. you and what you're doing with coaching. And I guess yeah. my first question really is, is when did you decide to take that leap? Because I do think this is so many topics that we could talk yeah. so much longer yeah, yeah, about. Yeah. And I, I'm sure I, I'm, I'm going to get a lot of DMs and questions <laughs> of people wanting to know more. Well, maybe we'll have to do a follow-up. I would <laughs> follow love, you episode. have an open invite anytime you want to come on. Just know that. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Um, first off, I'm really glad you had that conversation with your partner. Um and that you guys were on the same page. Like, I think that's awesome. I think that uh, 
to a certain degree, polyamory forces you to have certain conversations that you probably wouldn't in monogamy. Um, and I will get to coaching in a minute. Um, I also just want to clarify, like, um, no, I don't want my partners to have a say in my other relationships, but that doesn't mean I don't listen to them. That doesn't mean I don't take into account how they're feeling. But in the end, the decision is going to be with me and my other partners. I think that's the same with any relationship. Like even the one I'm in now, I can voice how I feel about something that he's doing. And he can be like, I hear you. I understand where you're coming from, but like, I'm not going to necessarily change my behavior because you are having that, this reaction. Sometimes yeah. the conversation goes deeper and saying, why are you having this reaction? Cause you really shouldn't be at the moment. Where's this coming from? And then we can have a deeper conversation about it. Yeah. But I think that's the same in any relationship, just, romantic yeah, yeah. or not. People can voice their think- opinions. Yeah. Right, right. No, they absolutely can. I just think that sometimes people think that polyamory is a free for all. So, um, so how did I get to coaching? Well, like I said, when we had, so I think, you know, I started coaching. Tech, like I didn't technically start coaching, but I was coaching people. I was fourteen or fifteen, and then giving my mom dating advice. Um, I was always the friend that people came to for advice, and I seem to know what I'm talking. about. Um, which thankfully worked out for people most of the time. You know, I'm not going to say I'm perfect. Um, and so over the years, I would do it. I was doing it privately, um, for friends, family, friends of friends when needed. It wasn't really a business until a few years ago. My therapist brought it up as an idea. It's like you should, like you could do this. And I was like, no, you said probably said it to all your clients. And he looked me dead in the eye. Goes, no, no, I really don't. Um, I think that one of the things that helps me um, is, uh, as my mom said growing up, was that I walk to the beat of a different drama. I tend to have a different worldview and outlook on in- human interaction and socialization um, comparatively to most. And so I'm able to give people different angles to look at things, which can be really helpful. Um, and um, I gender, sexual, romantic minorities, which covers the entire LGBTQ spectrum, uh, BDSM, non-monogamy, quote-unquote alternative lifestyles. Um, is because those are my communities, and those are communities that are underserved. Um, oh, what a lot of people don't know is often, not always, but generally, at least in a lot of this country, a lot of therapists are generally conservative Christian women. Like that's the majority. Um, and those people, while I'm sure they help people, I'm not going to say that they're bad, um, aren't really prepared to help the types of people that I help. I think that's really spot on. I've been very fortunate where my first therapist was also specialized in sexual behavior and romantic partnerships. He was a, a cisgender male. And I remember in various parts of my life talking to him about certain aspects. He was very open, which I was actually really surprised. But because he made sure his training really covered different subgroups, I'm using quotes, not in like a bad way, but first term that came to my head but because of that I was able to have good conversations with him about in my mid-20s when I was really coming into my sexuality and 
what my interests were and how to communicate that to previous partners and et cetera. But I've had friends who had other therapists who kind of shamed them when they oh, were yeah. like, oh, you know, I'm not opposed to having like a partner choke me or bring in like sex toys or yeah. God forbid not having sex just in a bed, which anyone listening, please explore. You should not just be having sex in a bed. But also, side note with choking, yeah. carotid artery, not the windpipe, please. Just educate and find out that information. Google can be your friend and talking to others. And also those um, websites that will be in this episode show notes that John mentioned earlier also provide great communities for you to explore and learn about your sexuality. But I think that's really interesting what you're saying is that when I think about all the other therapists that my friends have seen, there are there are a lot of white women. Yeah. I, I have had um friends who went to therapists for not relationship specific issues who the therapist said, well the problem is that you're probably that's, like, nothing, that's they, like saying the problem is you're gay or the problem is like right. you're this or that. It's like, right. that's not actually the problem. So just mm-hmm. listeners, if this is if someone said that to you in therapy, that's not the problem. The problem is that. Yeah, yeah. If someone is saying the things you enjoy in life that bring you fulfillment or are a an integral part of you are an issue, find somebody else that can help you. Because that person can most likely, or go see John. His info yes, will be in this episode show people. notes. All over the world, I do all my sessions through video. And you also help, like you mentioned, with a lot of other groups, and we'll put those um, other sites in the episode show notes. But I think it's really great what you're doing with coaching. I think that, as you mentioned, these communities are so underserved, especially those individuals of color who are in these communities i'm sure it's even yes smaller of a fraction as i've mm-hmm. learned through this podcast that anytime you're not white in a subgroup it's even smaller of yes the piece of the pie and so finding those that can help you or relate to you or just encourage you to keep living your best life too it's hard to find Yes. Yeah. Uh, polyamory and BDSM are, are particularly white um, for multiple reasons. Um, I am white. Um, I have clients of color who are, or clients who are people of color that I make very clear. There are certain things I cannot understand. And if you need to see someone who is going to understand those things on a fundamental level, please do. Um, I'm not going to be upset or mad or disappointed or anything negative and i'm sure Um, you could help those individuals who might be looking for that connect them with other people who can help them or have more of a shared experience than you and i as white individuals ever could right um i can help people with you know the other things in their lives when it comes from quote-unquote alternative lifestyles but i don't have that shared experience it's something i can never understand as deeply as would be needed um, for those particular issues. While I do have an understanding of those issues, it's not uh, it's not an innate thing because it can't. Well, John, I just want to thank you so much for your time answering all of my questions. I hope I did you justice. I hope I oh, yeah, you did fine. Uh, asked the right questions in a way that mm-hmm. was respectful because I just want listeners yeah. to know that's 
the point of this podcast is to learn more from a respectful place. And I hope that listeners are educated and feel empowered if you're interested in learning more to use the resources that we're providing to explore. And ultimately, I think we both just want people to live their best lives and be fulfilled in whatever that means for you. Absolutely. 100%. I always tell people that I think that the goal of life should be happiness and fulfillment without harming others. I love that. And that I think is a perfect segue into the final three questions. So the first question is, if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would that be? Oh, that would be, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you as long as you know the truth. I think we should make some merch like with that quote or mantra i'm just i'm just saying yeah. we can we can donate mm. the proceeds to different organizations yeah. we'll talk Absolutely. offline about that one yeah but, um, i'm totally for it the second question is if you could relive any one day which day would you choose yeah i i there are so many it is really tough my wedding day was wonderful and people you know it is it was one of if not the best days of my life there were stressors um, playing in the World Series of Poker was amazing. Um, and the main event, $10,000 big tournament, getting my black belt in Taekwondo um, that day was brutal, but one of the most rewarding days. Um, so I don't, it's so hard to pick. It truly is. We'll we'll find a way to communicate all of those on social media to listeners for yeah. sure. <laughs> The final question is, if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you choose? It would be Age of Innocence by the Smashing Pumpkins off the album uh, Machina, Friends and Enemies of Modern Music. So I have I, lyrics of it tattooed on my lip. I will go ahead and add that to the For Your Listening Pleasure theme song playlist on Spotify so listeners can hear your theme song. Along with everyone else. And as a side note, I'm from Highland Park. Billy Corgan resides Mm -hmm. there with his Madam Zuzu tea shop. Yeah, the tea shop. Yeah. So when you and your wife, who I know, come to Chicago, we'll have to go there. Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, John, thank you again so much for being so open and vulnerable and answering all my questions. I appreciate everything you're doing all the work you're doing and again just thank you thank you so much for having me and i hope to come on again